Good morning, everyone. Did I mention that I'm going to be a grandmother for the third time in just a few hours? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my, that's such a source of great joy. Well, the holidays are a source of great joy for a lot of us, and they also usher in a lot of traditions, beginning with the Thanksgiving holiday and then extending into the Christmas season. And so this morning, I just have a couple questions. I'd like to know how many of you serve turkey for Thanksgiving meal? Okay, and anybody else have a creative option? Any tofurkeys out there? Yeah. What do, what do you, salmon? Oh, delicious. Yeah. We're, what's it called? Steam, steamship round. What is that? Beef. All right. We're deciding where to go for Thanksgiving here. And so there's a little assembling of the menu. <laughs> okay, I only have one more uh, one more about these traditions that we have, and this one has to do with when you start playing Christmas music. Okay, I'd like to know how many of you think it is almost religious law that you start Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving? Let's see those hands. Oh, we have some real Christmas fanatics here. What about the other side? It can be any time you want because Christmas music is great. All right. <laughs> Lynn's back there cheering. <laughs> well... Some of us also get into making Christmas lists, and I'd like to just see a show of hands. How many of you make a Christmas list? This isn't your wish list. This is the list of people that you're planning to give something to. Whether you made it, maybe it's a meal that you're going to do together, but you make a list of the people you want to do something for or with at Christmas. Anybody? Oh, yeah, a lot more. This is the organized service. How many of you already have those made? Okay, these are the people we want to come to our homes and help us get organized. So take note of those hands. Well, today we're going to look at the story of a man who asked Jesus for another kind of list, a neighbor list. You see, he wanted Jesus to give him a list of the people he was supposed to love because he had just heard Jesus say, loving your neighbor as yourself is important. So he wanted this neighbor list. Who am I supposed to love? And his list was a little closer to the famous Santa list that's talk about, talked about and sung about. He's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. That was kind of this lawyer's take on it. But today, in this third of our series of unsuperheroes, Jesus is going to mess with him and with us by talking about focusing on how to love instead of who to love. But before we take a look at the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, or page 735 in the Bible under the seat rack in front of you, take a look at this video with me and ask yourself, what would you do? You're walking down the sidewalk on your way to work. Now watch that woman in front of you. Suddenly, she collapses. What would you do? Before you answer, take a look at this real security camera footage that caused public outrage. Disturbing video emerging tonight. When this woman in a New York waiting room collapses in 2008, hospital staff ignore her for an agonizing 45 minutes. When someone finally comes to her aid, it's too late. But aren't we better than that? Wouldn't the average person step in to help? We decide to find out. It's rush hour on a busy street in Newark as commuters head to the train station. This woman falls hard. 
But don't be alarmed, it's veteran stunt woman Stephanie Stokes Mine. And our What Would You Do cameras are here to see what happens next. And sure enough, some people walk right by. But within just four seconds. Hello, you all right? Good Samaritan Diane Coward stops to call 911. All day long, when it comes to Stephanie, the good people of Newark, it seems, are up to any challenge. Okay. Time after time. Stay right there. Help us coming, okay? Thank you. You're welcome, miss. But before we give Newark our coveted What Would You Do Humanitarian Award, we wondered, what if instead of this well-dressed woman, we substituted this homeless man? Suddenly, Newark isn't so sure. Now, no one is so eager to step in to help stuntman Mick O'Rourke. This woman takes a good, long look, but keeps on going. He's a human being, and he needs help. But you didn't stop. Because what can I do? Sir, are you OK? But eventually, others do step forward. Sir, are you OK? And if they didn't always want to touch, many were willing to touch three buttons. 911, where's your emergency? A man fell out. I don't know if he did or lob or what. When we asked them later why they helped, they all had similar answers. You gotta help them. They need help, help them. Just reach out. What if it was you? What if it was me? I need somebody to help me. But facts are facts. In our experiment, Stephanie is always helped within six seconds. With Mick, it takes an average of three minutes. Still, that's better than what happened last year in Washington, D.C. What's more disturbing is the number of people who walked by the injured man and never stopped to help. After this homeless man is attacked, hitting his head on the car behind him, he lies on the street unaided. People stop to look. They go by, even load their groceries. But it takes 19 minutes before someone finally calls 911. By then, it's too late. The man dies of his injuries. But would he have been treated differently if he hadn't been homeless? The homeless are probably one of the most negatively stereotyped groups in our society. Jack DeVidio, a social psychologist at Yale University. And God forbid they're holding a beer can. If they're holding a beer can, it gives us the explanation, the excuse not to get involved and still believe we're the good people in this situation. And that certainly seemed to be the case when Mick fell once more, this time carrying alcohol. We waited. Our beautiful view of New Jersey. And waited. And waited. In all, 88 people go by, and we're beginning to think no one will ever step up to the plate. But then we meet this most extraordinary woman. Excuse me. Excuse me. Linda Hamilton, who police tell us is sometimes homeless herself. Excuse me, can somebody call this man the ambulance? Excuse me, could you call him an ambulance? 
a lone voice asking for help. But unbelievably, 26 more people walk by, ignoring her. That beautiful face of hers, shaking somberly. What she can see is people being callous and uncaring, the cruelty in the world that she's, there's a kind of sadness there. Finally, Linda Hamilton's courageous example turns the tide. 911, where is your emergency? Hi, I'm a passerby, but there's a man out on the street. He's passed out. When we speak to Good Samaritan Batul Phillisman later, incredibly enough, she says she stopped because she remembered that videotape from Washington. I didn't want the same thing to happen to this gentleman. Once she steps in, others do too. This man improvises a pillow. She gave the homeless man a name. She said, I'll call you Billy. And she tried to comfort him. The actor playing the homeless guy was so touched. He said, I felt like she was an angel. And she was an angel. By giving him the name Billy, she really created a personal connection. She had a bond with that person that nobody else was even willing to consider. Open your eyes. Even after our cameras come out, Linda Hamilton is still looking out for him. You all right? Yeah, all right. Go, thank you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Amidst the hubbub of getting releases signed and interviewing passers-by, our savior, Linda Hamilton, slowly taps her way down the street, reminding us, inviting us all to consider, just for a moment, what would you do? Luke, chapter 10, verse 25. The Good Samaritan. On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, went away, and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, instead of a busy street on Newark, New Jersey, we have a rather deserted road 17 miles long from Jerusalem into Jericho with about a 3,000-foot elevation change, a winding road, rocky, almost sheer rock cliffs at places, lots of curves and bends, which made it easy for robbers to hang out and travelers to be taken by surprise and end up as our crime victim did here. This man assumed to be a Jewish man that was the victim of this crime. But we have a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And I kind of feel like that's the lead into a joke for a comedian. There was a priest, a Levite, and Samaritan. So the priest, the priest was coming from Jerusalem, meaning he'd already performed his priestly duties. And the priest would have been the one performing the sacrifices and the rituals prescribed in order to atone for the sins of the people in the Old Testament law. And then the Levite, same thing, coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. At that time, Jericho was a uh, country residence for priests, so there was about 12,000 of them living in Jericho at that time. So it wasn't unusual for them to be taking this road. But they were coming from Jerusalem, meaning they were done with their duties. Now, the Levites, rather than performing the liturgy, they were what we would call the liturgy police. They were there to ensure that things were done according to the prescription of scripture and of the law. So these two, um, the reason that fact is significant to us is if they'd been on their way to Jerusalem, there was very prescribed matters of how they had to be and not being defiled by a dead body was one of them. And so if they were on their way, though Jesus would have still overlooked this, that might have been on their minds. We could say, well, maybe they were worried about being defiled. But they really weren't on their way to perform their priestly and Levitical duties. They were on their way back from it. But still, they saw and walked on the other side of the road. Then there's the Samaritan, the guy who did stop, who went to the man and assessed the situation. And the Samaritan was part of a highly despised group, a very prejudiced group on the part of the Jews. They did did not like Samaritans. And at this time, the rivalry between them was even greater. You see, they were of mixed race. So they were half Jewish and half a number of other nationalities. And in that, they also had determined their own center of worship. Rather than Jerusalem for their Jewish worship, they found Mount Gerizim, another region. And the Jews did not tolerate anyone who would advise breaking the law, as you notice from this story. Well, how many of you have heard the State Farm insurance ads? Like a good neighbor, what do they say? State Farm is there. I mean, a great line, isn't it? Well, this story, Jesus is focused on helping us understand what it is to be a good neighbor instead of being so worried about who is my neighbor, who's on the list, the naughty or the nice or the somewhere in between. 
Instead, he's focused on us being a good neighbor. So let's take a look at the three things that he highlights for us in what this good Samaritan did. The most unlikely person, by the way, the Jewish lawyer who asked Jesus this whole question in the first place, would have seen the Samaritan as the evil one and the crime victim and the Levite and the priest as the, as the good guys. So first of all, a good Samaritan, a good neighbor sees something feels something, and does something. First, they see something. And it says here that the Good Samaritan came to where the man was. Now, we know that all of them saw something because it says that, that they saw the man. The Levite saw him, the priest saw him, and this man saw him. But we're talking about more than just registering in our brain uh, through the optic nerve, those images that are in front of us, seeing the guy in the side of the road. We're talking about going to the man because this was the difference. This man came near. The Levite and the priest saw it and walked off. Well, interestingly, that's not an uncommon thing in unpleasant, risky, or potentially demanding situations. Psychologically, it's called, it's a defense mechanism and it's called avoidance. And avoidance is where we try to escape an unpleasant or uncomfortable situation that we don't want to have to deal with. Any of you would admit with me that you've ever practiced that? You know, I've got my hand up with you. I've done that before. Maybe it's you uh, went down a different aisle in the grocery store when you saw somebody coming down your aisle that you didn't want to talk with. Maybe it's the neighbor who came outdoors to get his garbage can at the same time as you, and you didn't want to have a conversation. Deciding to wait and stay in the house. That's, that's what avoidance is. It's that simple. And so we're not that unlike the priest and the Levite sometimes at using that mechanism, but that's what they did. But the Samaritan didn't. You see, he came close. He came up to the man. He looked at him, and he assessed the situation. I'd like to ask you, what are some of the reasons that we do avoid situ- uncomfortable situations? Just name out what might be the motivation for that. What was it? You've been hurt in the past trying to do, help somebody. Someone else. Fear, yes, yeah. What kind of fears might you have? Yeah, they might be waiting in in, uh, hiding, ready to rob you next, you know, just lying in wait. Somebody else, what's another fear you might have? You what? Not wanting to bother, yes. Pat? Time. I've got someplace else to be. Yes, yeah, I'm a little too busy for that. I imagine on Newark that that was some people's thinking was, oh, no, I've got three minutes. I'm going to be late to work. Language barrier. Yes, that's a, that's a great one. What was it? Contagious. Yes, this person might be sick and contagious, and I might get it. Yeah, so repeated exposure that builds a callousness over our hearts. Yeah, what was it? Rejection, yes. Yeah, fear of rejection, they won't, won't let us help them. Well, those are all reasons that they, might not, that they might not have come to the other side of the road, but we have the Samaritan who did. He sees something and he goes near instead of avoiding and passing by. Well, I, when we moved to Los Angeles and I was working as the director of church planting, I was working across from Echo Park in a skyscraper with a helicopter pad on top, and there were 168 Christians that I knew of because there were 168 employees of Foursquare International. 
And one day I was down the street, one block down, to Lucy's Laundromat. And Lucy's Laundromat has a Starbucks and a Subway sandwich shop. It's the only, I think, the only one in the U.S. Now, mind you, it looks like a laundromat inside. It does not look like your typical Starbucks or Subway. Uh, there's just a counter for each in there. And I would come there, and I, I knew our neighborhood was filled with young immigrant families from Central American countries. And I just watched them coming in with their kids and doing the laundry. And I thought, what could 168 people do on their lunch hour to make a difference? Because it's only one hour, right? Most of us didn't live in the neighborhood. But we had a fabulous church we could invite them to. Angelus Temple was right across the street. So we had this great opportunity. And myself and another team member, I invited them to join with me. And we invited the whole building to give up their lunch hour once a week. And then we would schedule it for eight hours. We would be down plugging the laundry machines for them with money. And in it, we'd say, why? Just because we love you, care about you, we'd like to have a relationship. And that would start the conversations. There was almost always someone in the family, sometimes it was the younger ones, who could communicate and translate. And so that's what we began to do. We'd put an offering box on one floor of the building, the third floor, where a lot of people came, and they gave so that we'd have money to plug because we had to pay for it. We couldn't use Foursquare money to do that. If it was really from us, we had to be giving. So that's what I mean about seeing. Maybe it's in your neighborhood, having the eyes of Jesus, having the eyes of the Good Samaritan. What could I do to be of service here? Maybe it's on your job, but it's having those eyes that see beyond what a cursory glance as I pass by would do. It was awesome to begin those relationships. The second thing that we see is the Good Samaritan feels something. It says that he took pity on the man, and sometimes we think pity and we think of the little pat on the back and walk the other way. It wasn't that. This was the compassion that Jesus is most often uh, ascribed in scripture, the emotion most commonly attributed to him. It's that emotion and empathy that moves me to do something for that other person, that motivates me to often sacrificial action. And it's the same word that's used in Ephesians 4, 32, when it says, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. It's that word, tender-hearted, be tender-hearted, not a tender-hearted where I just feel with them, but I feel so much. I identify with you. I trade places with you. I think about what it would be like to be in your shoes, what it would be like to lay, have collapsed on a sidewalk on a busy city street. What would I want someone to do for me? Would I want them to walk by and do the sign of the cross and keep walking? Just an amazing thing to feel something. And thirdly, that good Samaritan, that good neighbor does something, actions that help. And we're talking about doing something that the person couldn't do for themselves. Now, you see that this man probably used pieces of his own clothing to wrap up or bind up the wounds of this crime victim. He used his own provisions for his journey, his wine and his olive oil, to treat the affected areas on the man's body. He used his own donkey as transportation. And he used his own money to help pay the, for this man at the inn. And he used his own time that it took to take, stay at the inn for a night, get the man all set up. Now, these two silver coins would have been two denarii. And in that day, depending on the price of this inn, um, it's estimated that that would have been enough for two weeks to a month for this man to be taken care of. Not a small investment on this good neighbor's part. 
there's some people here at Evergreen who have amazing eyes of a good neighbor, who have amazing feelings of a good neighbor, and who do something about it. One of those is a, one of our seniors, part of Adults Alive. Her name's LaVon Ridgeway, and right now she's celebrating down in Yuma, Arizona, getting a little of her, well, not exactly 29-degree weather in the sunshine there. But LaVon, just about a month ago, was celebrated at Dornbecker Hospital. You see, LaVon saw some kids, seriously ill kids, who are undergoing testing, procedures, and surgeries at Dornbecker, and thought how much a, a homemade quilt would, would bring comfort to each one of them, something they could call their own that they could have in the hospital. So Dornbecker celebrated LaVon's making more than 500 of those quilts for the kids at Dornbecker. We have a leader here at Evergreen, Russell Green. Um, he's, some of you may know him as the leader of Financial Peace University. But, you know, besides that, Financial Peace is just something we do a couple times a year. But in between, Russ gives of his own time because he saw a need in people's lives, that people had their finances in disarray, and that really without some coaching, they weren't going to make it. They needed some coaching, and that included some tools that he would get to them, that included some encouragement, that included some advice, and that included some accountability. And he's been doing that for various people in the congregation just on his own time because he saw something, he felt something, and he did something about it. Amazing people. Well, Jesus didn't answer this man's question, but he answered a much more important question. Let's review. The lawyer's question was, who is my neighbor? That's passive. That's not about me. That's about who I have to love if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Let's get that list defined so it's not too demanding, not too overwhelming. Jesus posed a better question, not who is my neighbor, who was a neighbor to the person in need. Not who do I have to love, but how could I love this person? How could I love my neighbor? You see, a good neighbor sees what's going on around him and comes near so they can assess the situation and see how they could help. And then a good neighbor feels compassion that moves him to do something and prompts him to sacrificial action. And a good neighbor takes action. That is, that he brings help and care to the ones that God puts in our line of vision. So what does it mean for Evergreen to be a good neighbor? (laughs) Because we, as a community of faith, we have this applied to us too. As a community, we want to be a good neighbor to those here, near, and far. And today, we're talking about those near us. Well, a few years ago, God led us down a road, and along that road were the precariously housed students in the Hillsborough School District. I'm going to invite you for just a minute to come close, and let's trade places with them. Let's take a look at a couple of the thank yous that they sent on the heels of last year's gift bags to see what was going on in their lives. So Dee has moved a lot, and she's currently staying with friends, and she uses a bus pass to get to school. And she wrote, I'm really happy that you can help me out. You are awesome, for reals. I was wondering how I was going to get deodorant. Thanks, and I send you my love. Or this junior at Liberty, his mom and dad are both in jail. And he's been staying with various family members trying to make the best of the situation. He said, thank you for the gifts for me and my brother. I realize that there's still people out there who care. And even though they don't know me, they're still trying to make good things happen. 
in other people's lives. I so appreciate your generosity. I hope your Christmas is great. Thanks so much. Or this Glencoe 10th grader who writes, hello, I really want to thank you for the good gifts. I haven't opened up all of them yet. I want something to open on Christmas Day. But it is just the thought that counts. So thank you very much. Or this junior at Hillsboro High School, she and her family begin the school year staying in their car in a grocery parking lot in Beaverton. Their father has advanced cancer and was not able to work. Community Action assisted them and got them into an apartment. And she writes, hello, I want you to know that you've helped my mom and our family with these school supplies, shampoos, lip gloss, Kleenex, she lists it all, hand purifiers and other good items. My brother at South Meadows Middle School was so happy with his candy and pencils. Happy Christmas from our family to yours. And many thanks. Or this student who's 16 and studying for a GED. She's staying with friends and she's several months pregnant at this time. She writes, thank you so much for your gifts. I knew I wasn't going to get a whole lot because we don't have much money. But you guys really surprised me. I can't say thank you enough. P.S. I really needed this stuff. Thank you and love. And finally, this ninth grader, I think, said it so well from Hill High. She and her sibling are in foster care after a history of physical abuse. They've had several homes this year so far. She has a bus pass that helps her to get to school in the midst of these different placements in foster home. She writes, I'd like to sincerely thank you for your generosity and amazing compassion for those of us who are in a great deal of need. Your donation means very much to me, and I'm sure also to the others you've helped. Just this act of kindness gives us loads of hope. And once again, thank you. Now, this is just a sample from the 200 students that we were able to give to last year. And this year, we're invited to give for 250 students. I wish that there weren't 50 more for their sake. But because there are, that's what we want to do this year. And so we ask, are you ready to give loads of hope this year to some more students? Because we've been asked to do the gift bags again for the students this year. And um, these are just two samples. This, all the girl bags are red. All the boy bags are green, just to help us keep it straight. There's two categories. You can fill a gift bag for an elementary school girl or boy, you can fill a bag for a 7th through 12th grader girl or boy. And then there is a third category that's new this year, and I want to explain it. We have what's called gender-neutral bags. It's not because anybody has any of their sexuality confused or anything like that, though we'd love them if that were the case too. But it's because we need some flexibility because kids are discovered right up till Christmas. And by making some gender-neutral bags, these kids, whether they're a girl or a boy, and we have some for each age group. So there's grade school gender-neutral, and there's um, 7th through 12th gender-neutral. Then you're, we're able to, um, those are be able to be distributed through counselors to those students that show up in these next few weeks, just before Christmas break. So we really want to say thank you. Now, inside the bag is your shopping list. And so you look for the appropriate age group, and the list is right there. And as much as you can get from that list, I think you can see, you might look across it and go, 
oh man, do they really want to get deodorant and spiral notebooks? But I didn't even read some of the thank yous. It's amazing how many of them thanked uh, us for the very practical items. But there are some really fun things we want to put in too. So you can get anything that's on the list and anything else that you that God puts on your heart. In addition, the students have, uh, are spending their own money and buying a gift for all the 7th through 12th graders. That's all of our kids in that age group are doing that. And our grade schools, our Vortex, are putting in Christmas uh, treat bags and a small travel game in every grade school bag. And then at Evergreen, as a community, we're going to put in a faith piece. This year, it's going to be Legend of the Candy Cane for the grade schoolers. And it's going to be um, another piece that we haven't decided on yet for the teenagers so we can span the 7th through 12th grade. So these are outside on a table in the lobby. Um, you can see a sample bag. I had a shopper go out, and the grade school, she bought a grade school girl's bag, buying everything on the list and going store to store, getting the best deals on everything. And she was able to do the entire bag, including the $10 gift card to Target or Fred Meyer for $47. So some of us may be asking, how could I do that? I'm doing the here piece. I'm filling a grocery bag with groceries, and I'm doing the far piece of saving up a red envelope offering for Lori Dickerson to build a home for the orphans. And we just want to encourage you. You know, one of the things you could do is you could eat rice, beans, and oatmeal, a cup of each. How exciting is that? We're going to give you a taste of that in just a minute in hospitality. But you could eat that for five days. Now, a typical family of four with two kids at home that are grade school age would spend approximately $954.50 a month for groceries. So five days out of that would more than cover one gift bag because rice and beans are a lot cheaper than that that little $954 budget. So that's one idea. But, you know, you received this as you came in. There's all kinds of ideas for how you could be a part of that. And I know that that isn't possible for everybody to eat rice and beans for five days. So whatever way God leads you so that you can participate, so that we can love our kids, that's awesome. So back to the story that Jesus unfolded for us today. The question that launched this story, the lawyer, who is my neighbor? Jesus, who was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Lawyer, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus, go and do likewise. And the word for do there is a present tense continuous verb, meaning that it's do this constantly. Do this across your lifetime. State Farm really did get it right. We want to be like a good neighbor to the people here, near, and far. So what's Jesus talking about to you today? We love because he first loved us. Jesus is the ultimate example of this good neighbor. He came to us when we were at our worst and paid the price for us sacrificially. He didn't just give us the clothes off his back. He gave us his life. And today, he wants anyone here who doesn't know that they're deeply loved by God to know that. John 3, 16 and 17 says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but so that the world through him might be saved. That's the good neighbor example that God's inviting us to today. And today, if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, to receive his love, his forgiveness, to accept what he did for you on the cross, then I invite you to consider that and to pray with me. You can say, Jesus, I accept what you've done. You whisper your own prayer as I pray in just a moment. And then for some of the rest of us, I invite you to consider as I pray, what part of this good neighbor would you like to grow in? Is God calling you to grow in? Is it the scene? You need to get better about stopping and coming near to situations. You need to deal with the fears and the um, selfishness that can keep us from not going near somebody and really assessing their situation? Or is it this feeling? Is it that you really have trouble with empathy? You know, you don't really experience that yet. And you know, that's a gift that the Holy Spirit can help you with because that's the Spirit of God that's inside of Jesus that helped him feel those things and that can help us. He can come and give us Christ's empathy. And thirdly, the actions that help. Maybe you know of a situation right now in your life where you have not pulled the trigger on some things Jesus has been asking you to do. You haven't gone and done them yet. And he's just speaking to you about that situation. I invite all of you to pray together with me and whisper your own words of invitation to Jesus for this.